You know success when you see it. Or you think you do. The people in the spotlight. But what about those small business masterminds who succeed at making their money work harder? They do that by having a business bank account with QuickBooks Money, which now earns 5% annual percentage yield. Making your money work as hard as you do? That's how you business differently. Learn more about QuickBooks Money at quickbooks.com slash 5APY. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes earn APY. APY can change at any time. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. WeSoda has sent a shockwave across the London market by cancelling what could have been the capital's largest IPO in two years, just two weeks after it was announced. The company, which is backed by the Turkish industrial conglomerate Sina Group, cited extreme investor caution as the reason. And I'm very pleased to welcome the CEO of WeSoda, Alistair Warren. Good morning, Alistair. Good morning. So you're in the studio with us this morning. I wonder whether you've come here to tell listeners that you made a mistake. No, not at all. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, if you look at the things we did achieve, uh, we, you know, engage with 300 investors all over the world, not only in the UK, Europe and the US. I don't think there's anybody in the business community now that doesn't know who WeSoda is. <laughs> and uh, most importantly, people understand what Soda Rush is. And before we started, frankly, very few people did. So in that sense, mission accomplished. Of course, it's disappointing that we couldn't get an IPO done. But, you know, there are some positives that come out of this. What went wrong? I think that the the issue wasn't about breadth of engagement, as I've said, 300 institutions. But I think what we're experiencing in Europe, and I mentioned it in the release yesterday, this this view on extreme sort of valuation caution. Uh, And what does that mean? So typically on an IPO, you have a 15, 20% IPO discount to fair value. When that uh, IPO discount, you know, doubles, then as a company, particularly if you don't need the money, you've got a question, does that make sense? And that was really the decision that we took because the extreme investor caution, the fear mm. o- over the this IPO market and the aftermarket performance really drove valuations to such a low level. The FT reports, though, that a person familiar with the matter told them that senior executives at companies had mishandled the discussions with investors and that compounded concerns about management holding zero shares in the group. That's the FT reporting. Want to put that line to you? Yeah, I mean, I actually don't know where that one has come from. It is indeed true that management don't hold shares in the company, but it's also true, consistent with other uh, UK uh, public companies, that you know our short-term and long-term incentives were largely composed of, of share-based remuneration uh, and with a view that all uh, senior executives would accumulate a meaningful shareholding you know, earned by way of bonus and compensation over time. So, but I don't really understand that, it, that the point that was made because certainly in all the meetings that I did, uh, I think that was that question was asked once um, in one meeting out of, you know, 60 or 70 meetings. So I, I, I think that that's a, uh, a line that the FT's chosen to write, but I don't think it's, it's actually reflective of the real dialogue. When you talk about the valuation being unrealistically low, what sort of discount are you, were, were, were you looking at? 
So, so if you think about this, this is a company that last year generated $741 million of cash. We committed at IPO for 2023 to pay to all shareholders, including the new shareholders, at least a $500 million dividend. So that gives you a strong sort of view on, on dividend yield. And, you know, typically you'd expect companies like this to, uh, you know, trade at 6 to 7% dividend yields. When that doubles, right, so effectively, you know, the discount is 50%. Then you've got a question, you know, is that, first of all, is it reflective of the business or is it reflective of market fear? And does it make any sense? Because in many ways, it almost asks as many questions over the business as it answers. And and it was on that basis. And as, as I say, because we didn't need the money, we just thought that sends the wrong message. We're going to withdraw. OK, so what is the problem then with investors looking at the London market? Why did they, why do you think, feel that they made you know what you're saying up some drew some pretty strange conclusions so, uh, by the way i don't think this is specific to the london market right Th- this is a phenomenon that is similar across the all european markets today and i draw that by comparison to north america because whilst the north american ipo market isn't straightforward either it's somewhat more constructive uh, and i think it comes down to the willingness of investors to do the real fundamental research and have conviction uh, around that as opposed to following everybody else uh, and I think there are you know, there's such a breadth of different investment styles in North America. You can find a larger group of people that do have that conviction. And in Europe, I think that people have been uh, so damaged by uh, IPOs over the last two years in terms of their aftermarket performance, they're just extremely cautious. So they've taken the view there's lots of value elsewhere. We don't need to do this. If we are going to do it, we're only going to do it at low value. So is that to say that you don't think there's risk appetite from European investors? Yeah, yeah, I think th- there is risk appetite, but it's been de-risked to such an extent, you know, discount over discount over discount, you reach the point where there's a mismatch between what the market's prepared to pay and what actually makes sense from a company's perspective. Uh, and I think that's uh, eventually what, what, you know, where we ended up. Um, it's it's depressing reading, um, uh, really, and it will worry the UK government and, you know, perhaps the government, Rishi Sunak, the Chancellor Jeremy Hunt, they have been very keen to stress how market friendly this administration is, how business friendly they are. What could they do to prevent this from happening again? So we have no issue at all with the UK, and I agree they are market friendly and, and supportive. Uh, but but I don't I don't think this is a government issue to resolve. I think this is a market issue to resolve. I do think there is you know some issues broadly within financial services in terms of the, sort of the optimization of financial services. So very few people want to do fundamental work to understand businesses. But I don't think this is one that regulation can solve. That's on the margin. It's not the core. Does that mean then that you're your next step is to look for a listing in the US. So our next step is to focus back on business as usual, right? We've spent, you know, of the last 18 months... With your newfound fame. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, we spent most of the last 18 months focusing on an IPO and there's a lot of growth projects we've got to execute. We've got three, one in Turkey, two in North America, uh, and we've got a lot of commercial projects. Frankly, we discussed with the board yesterday, and that's where we're going to focus. Uh, as and when market conditions improve, we might think of a listing again, and then we'll have to consider where we go. But for now, it's back to business as usual. So we're not going to turn around and find that you're going to, for a New York listing, let's say, by the end of this year? No, and the reason for that is we always made it clear this was just one step in a, in a long journey. We didn't need the money. We've got uh, plenty of capital, uh, you know, a very lowly levered balance sheet. We can affund- afford to fund all our growth, and that's what we're going to focus on now going forward. What does this effort cost you to to put that preparatory work that you're talking about into an IPO and then not go through with it? Yeah, so so obviously the most of the fees associated with an IPO actually come upon success. 
um, because they're the, the, the banking underwriting fees. Of course, there's legal fees and consultant fees and what have you. But actually, I would look at it like this and say, in going through this process, uh, what has it done in terms of improving the business, improving the way in which we think about uh, the business, how we think about our disclosures? And that's something that we're committed to do even as a private company. So we don't consider it as a lost investment. We just consider it an improvement uh, in our business uh, that will last for many years to come. What would be your message then to, to institutional investors? I mean, I hear the do your research uh, line, but but what would be your message to institutional investors at this point? Look, I mean, I guess my frustration is that if you've got a company which is a global leader, strongly cash-backed, strong growth, strong dividend, strong sustain, like best-in-class sustainability credentials, it ticks every box in theory. So if this doesn't work, what does work? And so I think people need to, you know, given that IPOs are fundamental uh, to the sustaining capital markets, you know, bringing new companies and new ideas to the market, they've really got to question whether, you know, their current approach is the right approach. And uh, because otherwise, I think a lot of companies will be turned off and go to private equity or private capital formation as an alternative. Is there... There's nothing that the, the institution of the investors that you spoke to in these engagements, there were no issues beyond the fact that you feel they didn't they didn't see the promise that you see in the business there's there's not a chance that they just found something that that in the business that they're that led them to not want to give the valuation that you saw for the business i i don't think so uh, you know there was a broad range of investment styles growth yield emerging markets developed markets of course they all have their own area of focus um, I think that the first challenge for us was to educate people on the industry because it's mm. not a well understood industry. I think we did that. Then it was to educate them on the you know operational and financial competitive advantages we had and the sustainability of those. I think there people understood the advantages, but they struggled with how sustainable they are in the future. And as a result, then they kind of start to layer when you combine that with the sort of fear factor that I described uh, over market performance, then that then compounds to the valuation outcome that we got. But I don't think there were specific issues on the, on the uh, company. Just lastly, I mean, you were you had been hoping to raise $800 million, i.e. a valuation of $7.5 billion. Yep. Are you stick to that now? You think that perhaps if you come back to market, it would be bigger than that, stronger than that? Or well, I, I always said there would never be a cheaper time to buy We Soda than at, at this IPO. And, you know, we've... Uh, you know, every year we're compounding growth at sort of 12 to 15 percent. Uh, you know, uh, we're sustaining our margins. You know, in two years time, I'd be very surprised if the valuation isn't significantly ahead of where it is today. Success. It's discipline. It's teamwork. It's the drive and passion inside of us that comes before all recognition. It's the best of each of us made better by the best in all of us. It's what Stiefel's been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing global wealth management and investment banking firms in the industry. Stiefel, it's where success meets success. Start your journey at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. 